G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 14 Preview Edition coming at you, uh, recorded live in the studios of Southern FM in Brighton on a very cold and wet Melbourne winter's morning. We've got a lot to discuss, uh, last of the buy rounds coming up, so only six games, but a massive week of news which we will drill down on very shortly as I welcome my co-host Mark Fine. How are you Fine? I'm well, yeah it has been a big week of news and the AFL has had to not only pass judgment on a player but also on themselves a little bit. So we'll go through the week that has been shortly. It's been a good week for myself. I've ventured down to Andrew's Hamburgers. Can't miss 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. You know how you can't miss Andrew's hamburgers? Well, because they taste so good. Because there's always people there. Well, of course. It's I'm not an, it's it's a, a, well, it's a Melbourne institution. It's an icon. It's not far from South Melbourne Market, so that's when I went. Well, you can do your shopping, and then after you've done I the did. shopping, um, finish off with a, a beautiful burger. I was considering the iconic South Melbourne Market Dim Sim, and I thought, yeah, no, I could have that, but i could go an iconic burger. Mm. So, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Oh, and Or, um, you know, you could wake up one morning and think, you know what, I want to renovate my house. I do, but <laughs> money, my friend. I'd love to. Who wouldn't want to renovate their house? Certainly through Nick Spartel and Hardwick Buildco. I tell you something about renovations. What's that? You know, you can get heating in the floor. Because cold, just, it was so cold. It just turned cold a couple of days ago. And our floors, be, it, the house we live in is over 100 years old. Really? Yeah. And the floors certainly... Uh, is yours falling apart? Parts of it. Our house is literally falling apart. Like, it's, it's like you put a, a finger in the wall and another uh, leak we pops po- open. We're possums living in our roof. <sighs> they're noisy critters. I'm over it. What we need is Nick Spartel's Hardwick Build Co., the best of the best. So it has been a big week. I'll hand back to you and you can orchestrate our navigation through the many issues that are football. Well, just before we do, uh, competition. We, oh, it was we good. love the our competition. Oh, the Mustaka was excellent. We got some great entries, yeah, we'll didn't we? You're read the them judge. Out later. Um, you're the judge, and we will set a new competition too. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Closer to the end of the show. But like I said, I hope to get through. Uh, let's not waste any more time. On Footyology, Newsfeed. Well, we're not having to search too far and wide for uh, big footy news this week. It's been everywhere, finally. Three major stories, and we'll touch on them all. Number one, uh, in terms of importance, absolutely no doubt about that, Jaden Stevenson's suspension for placing bets... Uh, on games in which he was involved. I mean, you can't place bets on any games if you play AFL footy, but uh, games in which he was playing involving his magpies and um, came to light on uh, Tuesday, didn't it? And then uh, the penalty announced on Wednesday morning by the AFL and then a very contrite Jaden Stevenson did his own press conference And the sum total is uh, a 10-game suspension, which, of course, makes him available for the finals, uh, presuming Collingwood get there, and that's a fairly safe presumption. 12 games further as a suspended sentence, which I've got... Forever. Which I've got a view on. um, And a $20,000 fine. Okay, obvious question. Uh, Did you think that was a sufficient penalty? I personally felt... Given the how the AFL couched it in very serious terms, and I, I'm only going not by 
the penalty, but by the AFL's response that this is a very serious matter, that if it's serious, then letting him back to play the finals takes uh, it dilutes the notion of a penalty. That's what everybody's in it for, the finals. Mm. Now, it won't be easy for him just to walk back in the team. Collingwood will make the finals, but I think he will make that team. And you're getting sort of rewarded. It, it's... It's almost like a, a, a prison sentence. And after your prison sentence, we're sending you to Great Keppel Island. <laughs> I just felt... Oh, the jails on Keppel are horrendous. <laughs> now, after your sentence, you'll be released into the custody of a cruise. Uh, I think if it's serious, then he starts again next year. One thing I will say is that opinion, and I've heard a lot of opinions, and everybody's entitled to have one, of course, that it's been pretty evenly split, too mm. lenient, too severe. So maybe they got it right. Because yeah. when you have the scales balanced like that, that means they're pretty close to the money. Yep, yep. No, I uh, I tweeted something and the reaction I've had to that has been almost evenly split 50-50. So, yeah, you could argue that means they got it right. You could also argue that but it's... there's a, 50% Collingwood supporters, 50% Collingwood <laughs> haters. Or that it's another case of the AFL carefully managing an outcome which they've developed some reputation for doing and uh, there is I think Jake Nile reported in the age that uh, there was a, a view on the commission that they would have preferred a, a heftier penalty um, and this was sort of seen as a way of appeasing people who thought you know it should be enough games to be weighty uh, and yet not um, risk the wrath and potential legal type challenge from the Collingwood Football Club. I've got to say, there's not many issues in footy that happen that leave me thinking, uh, you know, that don't have me coming to one view or the other. This is one of those rare occasions on, on which I can see the argument on both sides. Um, I, I was keen on a Solomon type verdict. What do you mean? You know, the wisdom of Solomon. Oh, he was famous. I think you meant Dean Solomon. No. The wisdom of Solomon. Yeah. That he'd be offered 12 weeks, but he could toss a coin and make it 24 weeks <laughs> or none. Ah, well, that would be a form of gambling. Correct. <laughs> Take your chances. Um, well, yeah, look, I've, I've got a few thoughts on this. First off. I don't understand the 12 games suspended sentence component. And there seemed to be a lot of confusion about that. Now, I asked a range of people, the 12 ga- what's your take on this? The 12 games suspended sentence, if he trips someone next season and gets rubbed out for a week. No, it's gambling related. Well, okay. So if that's the case, what is the point of it? Because if he, um, if he gets another uh, infringement on. Grants of gambling. Must be three years. That would be game over. So what? What is another twelve games on top of that? Yeah, no, it's twelve games for a gam for a similar infraction. Okay, so that's crap, isn't it? That's a Complete purely crap. symbolic gesture. Exactly. Okay, so that weakens it in my eyes. That so they can say ridiculously he was suspended for twenty two weeks. Yeah, no, it's wrong. It's wrong. Totally misleading and yep. totally useless. Good point. Um, okay, so point number one. Point number two, if your view is that the um, penalty is too harsh, I think the evidence you'd use to support that view is the Heath Shaw precedent. So Heath Shaw in 2011 got rubbed out for eight games, um, which is too fewer. But after uh, placing a bet on a teammate on the basis of inside, first on the basis of inside information he had about yeah. Nick Maxwell kicking lighting a goal. Up, lighting up. Forward of centre. There was no uh, confession of sorts, so he was he was caught red-handed. So you could argue why why has Stevenson got a heftier penalty than Shaw did? Because I'm only offering a sort of devil's advocate style answer. Maybe because Heath Shaw was the first player to be seriously punished, and after his infraction and punishment, all players should have been better educated and further, and clubs. Yeah, well, I know that there was Dean although there's been one there, since then, haven't there? Yeah, yeah, but they're, they're, I mean, they've been off-field, they've been goal umpire, goal umpire. Yeah. A goal umpire went. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the, the idiocy of it, just, it's like, totally bewildering. You I know? mean, media, media um, partners of the AFL, if you're a, 
and have an AFL media pass for a year. You're not allowed to bet. You can bet on games, but there's certain time constraints. Yeah, and and uh, I don't think games you're present at, or yeah. you know, it's a hard thing to police. I would have thought. Okay, a couple more things. This is sticking in my craw a bit, and you know, help me if I'm misunderstanding this, but. At Stevenson's press conference, you know, he was obviously very contrite, and he said that in the end he um, he sought to fess up, and yeah, he spoke to Jeremy Howe. He sought to fess up because he was weighed down by guilt, and he said that was after the third game in which he bet, and that was the Collingwood St Kilda game. What I'm finding hard to reconcile here is the the subs or the revelation at the same time in news stories written about how it all happened that. After that St Kilda game, the first inkling Jeremy Howe had of it wasn't Jaden Stevenson saying, oh, mate, I've, you know, I'm, I think I'm in trouble. It was Jaden Stevenson saying, oh, Joey Bloggs cost me a multi because he didn't get 27 possessions. Yep. Now, that, to me, doesn't indicate a guy who's sort of racked with remorse about uh, doing the wrong thing. No, so that, I'm finding that yeah, a bit yeah. hard to reconcile. All right, that... that- I think maybe you're reading a little too much into it that there was intent and lack of remorse. I mean, these are $12 bets at a time, and I just think he's pretty naive and didn't understand or, or didn't have a handle on the serious nature of the infraction. But it's like being, when it was pointed out, when yeah. it was pointed out to him, yeah, that he should, that he, he's got, a, you know, that this is completely wrong. At that point. He might have had a guilt at not telling an official. But isn't that like being a little bit pregnant? I mean, you know, these guys are told in no uncertain terms you cannot. He was probably told how to hold the ball when he was kicking a goal, but he didn't. Doesn't do that either, does he? I'm just—they're not all geniuses, and no, I know they're all different. But that is pretty dumb. Isn't it? I mean, these guys are told. Oh, the fact that he did it is You cannot gamble. Yeah, the fact he did it is so dumb. You cannot put a fifty cent coin on any of these outcomes. So, I mean, he's spewing that he didn't get the multi. How do you think he feels about being fined $20,000? Yeah, that, that really worries me. It, 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 and I'm not saying the the um, the guilt isn't there now, And but it, is it guilt or is it, you know, was it guilt or was it fear that drove him to go to Jeff Walsh? All right, so here's the question I ask you. I think central to any of these discussions is the amount gambled. Yep. Because it, to me, it's a, you know... A, a, oh, no, not to me, but go on. I'm saying, to me it is. A tuppence halfpenny bet, he's not going to, and he did not, in any way, there's no suggestion that that bet influenced the way he prepared for or played the game. So, it's just a stupid sidebar interest on football. There has to be an understanding that if that was 30,000 wagered, that we start talking about genuinely individuals trying to change the outcomes of games. Oh, oh yeah, or, yeah, yeah. I can't tell you, man. Yeah. Because there are people out there who are not in any way swayed by the amount. It, it's so black and white for some people. Yeah. You know, the, the shoplifter is equal to an armed robber. Uh, you broke the law, you broke the law. It's like the Asada business where Essendon players were constantly being referred to as Lance Armstrongs. Yeah, you know, yeah. completely different. Well, the difference there was Armstrong. There was a, a no, deliberate. No, for some people, there were no difference. Yeah, yeah. You no, know. I see. I see what you're saying. Well, I guess what I'm saying is, yes, there's an obvious difference if you'd bet thirty thousand to thirty six dollars, yeah. but thirty six dollars, it can't be dismissed no, because no, you're no. leaving open the possibility of manipulating the result of a game. What question I ask is, what amount becomes is the tipping point, and what is the penalty at that tipping point? $1,000 starts raising eyebrows, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think if somebody got... Let's say he was betting 12... There were three bets. They were $12 each. Let's just say. If it was $1,200 each, what penalty do you think he should have got? And I'm not saying Stevenson. If a player did it at $1,200 a bet, standing to win thirty or 40000 oh, as multiples do. A couple of years. I'd rub them out forever. For I think, life. Yeah, I think at that point, we're talking about the absolute... The reason why this is policed so stringently is the, you know, changing the outcomes of games. And that that will undermine fan confidence forever. 
Okay. There's a there's another bigger issue here, which has been touched on by a few commentators. Greg Baum has written a, a particularly good column in The Age about it. I've written a column about it, which you can read on footyology.com.au tomorrow. Today it is up on Inkle, um, the news aggregation site, which... Uh, you can subscribe to, but um, they'll be tweeting that out and putting it on Facebook if you want to read. Th- this increasingly uncomfortable nexus between the AFL and gambling. And people have said to me, well, hang on, you know, like, should should they, should no one accept sponsorship from CUB because some people are alcoholics? It's that sort of argument. But I think the increasing amount of there's no doubt it's gone up. I mean, apparently the Bet Easy sponsorship deal is worth, is it, $10 million to the AFL. It's a huge amount. You, the, the irony yesterday of um, the press conference announcing the penalties being live-streamed on the AFL website, when it finished, there was an ad for Bet Easy come up. Um, you go on the AFL website, there are betting promotions everywhere. The signage is everywhere. They have videos that are sponsored by the BetEasy mob. Um, it makes it difficult for the AFL to be too heavy-handed in any punitive gesture because they know everyone will turn around and say, well, you're happy to stick out your hand and take their money. So, like, we're... And, you know, I'm I'm not a Puritan on this, and I've actually been approached by lobby groups in the past to get on board a public campaign about gambling. And I actually said to them, "Look, you know, to be perfectly honest, I'm I'm neither here nor there about it. You know, but it is making me increasingly uncomfortable the amount of it because of the proliferation of betting agencies now, and the AFL's increasing jumping into bed with them." I think compromises them whenever something like this happens. Yeah, I I agree. The AFL have sat on their hands, been quiet, basically avoided the issue of poker machine reliance for certain for many or most bar North Melbourne to different extents clubs in Victoria. You know, I wonder whether Carlton would be a functional football club without revenue gain from poker machines. That and patronage they're, they're, they're in. Now, poker machines have a particularly bad name in the world of gambling because of the social disruption, you know, the social upheaval that it causes and family um, that the brought a terrible price amongst families, especially lower to middle working class families. Now, the AFL have, on some fronts, the AFL are social arbiters. They are, you know, the bastions of of good behaviour, we only need to look at our next news issue, and that is behavioural officers at the football. On one hand, the AFL virtually tells football fans how to behave and how they should think and what's right and wrong, and they carry the can for many social issues, but not this one. They're no different to state governments, though. And, yeah... But it, but it makes it look worse, doesn't it? Because, yes, they've been great on racism. Um, a bit slow for mine on... on, um, on uh, they've been great on gender. Um, they haven't been so great on sexuality. Uh, to me, they've been a bit slow on that one and a bit almost sort of embarrassed into it. But none of those causes... They don't have a financial... Bird, uh, penalty attached. Yeah. Um, the, the, the losses for, through adopting those stances would be negligible as opposed to this. And again, it makes you think, well, you know, your, your morals come at a price. Yeah, it makes you think that if the Nazi party was a major sponsor of the AFL, whether or not they would give it two hoots about... Indigenous week. And, and, yeah, and you can, I mean, same thing that applies to alcohol, uh, tobacco, uh, as gambling, doesn't it? So at some point, everyone decided tobacco, absolute no no. But alcohol's still a big part of sports sponsorship. Yeah, look, it's, again, it's a difficult line to tread. If I turned around to you tomorrow, Rowan, and said, we've got a really good sponsor, it's, you know, Bet Penis or whatever the next name for a company would be. Mm. See, people would remember that one. But you know, we've got a we've got a bookmakers that are going to throw in five thousand a week. Do you reckon we'd say no for Footyology? Yeah, no, I wouldn't. 
No, no, I'm I'm, I'm quite openly saying that. Everyone has their own line, don't they? I'm just, as you say that, I'm thinking, what would mine be? You know what mine is? What? I lose enough on the punt about time I've got something back. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, what... I'm a donator. But but I don't bet on football. I've never bet on football. Yeah. Well, neither have I. I'm just not a punter. I mean, no, I've had... I reckon the last bet I had was like 2008 or something. I am not a punter. I don't bet on anything. Do you know the last bet I had on the footy? Last week? No, 1997 oh. grand final. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, that obviously didn't go well for you. Yeah, well, the bet did. I had $4,000 on Adelaide. Oh. They were nine to four. Yeah, okay. And back then I had, I had a fair bit of money. Yeah. I couldn't afford that sort of bet now, but it dawned on me at nine to four, I thought if we're going to lose, St Kilda's going to lose, I've got to get something out of it. All right, look, uh, we better leave that there. I mean, this is a discussion we could continue for an hour easily, but there are two other really big news stories. You just touched on one of them, the about-face on fans uh, and fan behaviour and uh, behavioural awareness officers. What did you make of it? I think this sort of got out of control, and the AFL, before they knew it, had created a monster. Mm. And the monster was overzealous patrolling of barracking at the football they only needed to sit back after a few days of reporting on this to realise that they were overstepping the mark, overstepping the line in telling fans what they can say at the football. No, you know what they need to do? They need to sit in the crowd for five minutes, and clearly they were not prepared to do that. I sat in the crowd at the Essendon Hawthorne game on Friday night, and I did the boundary for 3AW at the Carlton Bulldogs game on Saturday night. At both games, it was immediately apparent that there was more security around, that they were more visible, they were more active. Here's an example. Saturday night, um, when I do the boundary, I sit next to where the umpire's race is. For the whole time I've done it, uh, at half time and at the end of the game, you'll get one security person appear and sit down either side of the race. That's it. Saturday night, there were two security people on either side of the race, plus a policeman on either side of the race. Actually, one was a policewoman. But, I mean, it was it was that obvious. And I think this is what the people are as annoyed about as the actual overzealousness is the, um, the uh, sort of duplicitous way it was done, and to the point where the AFL denied that anything had changed. Now, that's crap. It clearly had changed. And, and you know, now, the best thing they did was they tried to do some buck passing and blame it on Marvel Stadium, yeah. which they own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and I can see how the lines of communication get muddied and someone at a lower level sort of takes it too far. You know, but um, ultimately they are responsible for it and they just ducked and dived and, and, and frankly lied about it, really. And that's certainly the impression that the punters have. And at a time when the AFL's PR is at an all-time low, they could ill afford that. So, okay, given points for the retraction and the apology and the, and the you know, we got it wrong, but you shouldn't have got it wrong. And you wouldn't have got it wrong if you were actually in touch with what the people are thinking. And this is, this is an ongoing issue. I, I think that this administration is more out of touch with how people are feeling about the game than any I can remember. All right. I'm just taking this sort of the AFL being a microcosm. Well, not a microcosm, actually a, a substantial part of society, social life in Australia. Yeah. And they take, as I said before, they take a lead in many social issues. And now here's the problem. And this is an overview of the whole thing. You can tell people and you can force people to say certain things and behave in a certain way. Yeah. And they have tried to do that. They tried to do that with various uh, themed rounds, and that's fine. But is it a feel-good... Is it something that they do to for, them, for their own benefit, to make them appear to be these, um, the, you know, society's vanguard, the, the shining light? I don't know why. I don't know why the why and when the AFL, and they're not alone in doing this. This happens in America with the NFL and other sporting bodies. They feel that they need to lead the way in social reform. Now the problem is, you can tell people and force people to shut up at the football, and you can tell people not to boo at the football, and you can tell people not to abuse umpires and not to think do this or that. 
and you get away with it because people don't want to get kicked out of the football. Mm. But you can't, you can tell, force people how to speak and act, but you can't change how people think. And that is far more important because that in the end governs how people act. And you suppress people long enough because you're not changing people's moral compass mm. by doing this. Well, it's like the umpiring thing, which is how the crowd stuff began, yeah, isn't it? Correct. You're, you're not, not, going, you're you're not, not helping not, the umpires' no, cause by forcing this. You're not going to bludgeon people into having more correct. respect for umpires. You've got to bring them along with you. And correct. and, and that, that is a nuanced thing. And it, it's, it's just such stunningly bad PR on their part. And that's what makes me think they're out of touch. All right. Just, just the bigger picture, and it is a very serious matter, and not for the AFL, but just in society in general, this ramming of political correctness down people's throats, mm. which means that they act and speak in a certain way but think very differently. You only need to go online when people are anonymous to see how people think. Yeah. Is dangerous because you suppress this long enough and eventually there will become there will be a leader a right wing far right wing leader a, a person with evil intent who will tap in to all of this suppressed thought, thought and behavior and unleash a dragon on society what do you mean will I mean, it's happening. It's happening all over the world. It's I, happening here. What do you think Fraser Anning is and Pauline Hanson are? They still are marginalised, but there will be better. There will be better practitioners than Anning and. and is Andrew and, Bolt marginalised? No, but see, he had another go at the Adam Goods issue the other day. But I'm, I'm, but he's not in the seat of power. I'm talking about the prime minister of this com- yeah, country. Yeah. There will be a better Hanson and a better Anning, and yeah. No, it's it's it's, it's how the AFL behave as well. They're not achieving their goals. Yeah, it's a good point. And look, I I think I think nine times out of ten, when people go about go on about political correctness, they're seeking a cover for their own bigotry. But I think that this is one issue where it actually was political correctness gone too far. We've got to get on with it. Um, To that end, very quick. Sorry, but it's important. You know that gay pride game between St Kilda and Sydney. Yeah, it's an important. Do you agree? I think it's a very important game. Yeah, no, I'm. I, I think I don't think they've been forceful enough in that. No, they haven't. Lesson. And this year they've made it the round twenty three, where there's no even fixturing organised yet. Yeah, right. So we don't know what date it is. Correct. Yeah, yeah. they've they've absolutely given it lip service. Yeah, no, fair point. Um, we've got to talk about Ben Stratton, but we need to do it quickly. So, uh, Ben Stratton, uh, one game. I, I thought he would be fined for the pinching and maybe get a week for the stomping. In the end, he got a week for the pinching as well. Were you comfortable with the penalty? Oh, no, I think he should have been put in a pot of salted boiling water and cooked and called Pinchy. Oh, Pinchy. Oh, you're so succulent. That was Homer's pet lobster. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's a Pinchy. And he's... Comments afterwards were completely fallacious. In in what? Which I, comments particularly? I'm embarrassed by my actions. I mm. realise now it was wrong. I'm, you know, I'm sorry for what I did. You've been doing it for years. What did it dawn on you? Because it was highlighted on TV. This was not something that he did. He he responded to it as though he did something wrong on the football field that weekend. Yeah. No, mate, you've been doing it yeah. for ages. The, the cachet of the apology has really been um, uh, weakened, hasn't it? Because, yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, you don't suddenly have an epiphany and go, oh, yeah. I'm wrong. Yeah. You know, we saw the bruises on Fantasia's it, and arm. And it's a real bad, it's bad, and it's and for kids, like an Auskick. Yeah. There, <laughs> a, kid there, did, a kid did that to my kid at Auskick. It wouldn't go on for years. <laughs> There's been an interesting reaction from Hawthorne too because Justin Reeves, the CEO, was very quick to come out and, and denounce what had taken place. But then Alistair Clarkson was interviewed about it on 360 and he was quite – his reaction was, oh, it's been a massive overreaction. Um So I wonder, you know, what – I wonder if there's been a bit of sort of internal – spirited debate at Hawthorne about how they should react to it and how serious it is. I mean, the th- bottom line is, you know, it's not going to it's not going to really hurt anyone, is it? But it, it is a shocking look and it's not it's not the example we want to be setting. And it was a controversy when Craig Kelly was doing it 25 years ago. So, Jesus, been some dumb behavior by people. And we haven't even got to the Hawthorne president and he's his gaff. 
Oh, kill it. Yeah. Oh, God. Which, which oh, and I've got to say too, quickly. They don't understand these these foreigners. Well, the, the, <laughs> I, I've actually made half of that same point, and I did again on radio on the weekend, that I think one of the big issues is that a lot of the security people aren't familiar with the nuances of the game and barracking. But you can't immediately, you can't look at someone <laughs> and immediately decide, A, they're a new arrival in the country, and B, they don't know anything about footy. Yeah, I, you know, he was straight up, there's many new Indian immigrants in the country, you fill in a number of jobs, and he just jumped to some completely, look, the good thing is he apologised yeah. pretty quickly, which is not always Kenneth's way. The final thing on pinching, the most ridiculous thing about the whole discussion on Ben Stratton. Yeah. And I cannot remember which commentator said it, but it was an ex-player, so I apologise. Do you know what his observation was? What? That Orazio Fantasia bruises easily. (laughs) He must be a bleeder. Um, It's his fault. He bruises easily. It was a former player, was it? Yeah. Oh, that narrows it down to about 95% of the football media. I can't remember who it was, but what a comment. Oh, look, yeah, he bruises easily. Yeah, but whoever it was played 250 games, so their their comments must be valid. Um, And it wasn't Dermot, because I would have remembered if it was Dermy. All right, massive week of news. Like I said, we could easily talk about these three stories for an hour, but uh, we've got other things to cover. We've got games to preview, which we'll do shortly, and we've also got some observations about the Fourth Estate. On Footyology Media Watch. All right, uh, media observations time. Uh, I'm going to let you kick it off today. What's uh, you, What have you got for I've us? I've got a couple. Okay. First, the AFL website, which is going to be an, a, maybe a, a movable feast in the upcoming weeks and months. We're going to keep talking about this. This story, I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, it's going, it's going to cause more and more unrest because there is a directional change in the AFL website and AFL media uh, generally in the wind, and uh, I'm not sure a lot of hardcore footy fans are going to like it. Well, this has nothing got to do with editorial changes or any other changes, ownership changes. It's simply a big look-see tonight at the New Look Match Centre on the AFL website. So they've been promoting it this week. You really? Go, you go to the website. Yeah, I'm on there every day. I never noticed. No, it. no, it starts... The changes will oh, be no. placed... Per game. So, for example, tonight, Essendon West Coast will look different, and then uh, as each game folds in, and then the whole thing will look different. But there's going to be a new. Me. It's always these things. I tend to find these things quite confronting and annoying to start off with, but then you quickly. But step, why didn't they changing? I'm just. I'm just saying it. It's going to be an interesting look. We'll comment on it next week. Yeah. But I wonder why you do it mid-season. That's all. Uh, because you're I think the, it was working pretty well big, the other one. Yeah, because you're the same person driving those changes that, you know, God, this... Uh, I, I was absolutely unaware of that, and I'm really worried. I think they're... You can go now to... Because I went to yeah, the but see, you Kilda, look, I went to the St Kilda versus Brisbane game, and it yeah. says, new Mac Centre will be implemented for the game. And was that on your app or on uh, PC? No, just on the AFL, AFL.com.au. Yeah, but on did you look at it on your phone? Phone, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, when I'm watching a game, I watch it in my study and I've got my computer there and I have the match centre open on my computer. It's about to change. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, all right, well, let's, I'm, I'm tipping that there's going to be some issues here with the sort of stats we're given and uh, I will unleash on this segment next week, if that is the case. It's a very good service. It's It does what it's supposed to. Absolutely no need to change it unless you're someone trying to justify an exorbitant salary and you know nothing about football or uh, the media, as a matter of fact. And uh, you think that's unlikely? <laughs> if there's a, sport, give me a spare couple of if, hours. If there's a website they could go to, MLB, Major League Baseball, has a great sort of match centre because... At those at that website, you go there and you see the scores, and then you can click on any score change and watch the home run or watch how they got the run instant within seconds of it happening, mm. which is very good. I tell you what, look, it's one thing to sort of suggest a shift in the sorts of stories you write for the website, but if you start stuffing around with basic in-game stats and get it wrong, look out. 
So, yeah, I, okay, I'll be watching that with very great interest. As uh, I once observed on the old footy record, careful where you put the staple, people. Yes. Um, so you got another one you wanted to touch on too about the coverage of Stevenson? So, yeah, look, I think we're pretty fulsome in our praise of journalists when they get it right. And we've, you know, we commented on the breaking of one of our coaches being moved on was picked uh, up. Robbo yep. did that one, Mark yeah, we Robinson. Happy to give him the thumbs up. Well, somebody that I work with and I don't need to couch it in any other terms and I really like Johnny Ralph. He came on TV prior to the Jaden Stevenson verdict and gave a very, well, an eyebrow-raising prediction. And what, hang on, what, this is on Fox footy, I was think, it? Yeah, I watched, again, I should be more... Vigilant? Uh, yeah, more... Um, observant when okay. watching TV, because I do flick the channels, but I'm assuming it was on Fox. Is he still part of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that was on Fox News. You know, okay, not... Fox Sports News. Yeah, okay, that's yeah. Because it was on definitely a news yeah, yeah. service. All right, anyway, what happened? And they said, what's, you know, he was asked his prediction or gave his prediction, and he said that since the Heath Shaw incident, the AFL have softened their stance and that Jaden Stevenson could well get away with just a fine or at the very worst a short time on the sidelines. He suggested mm. he'd be playing again within four weeks. Oh, now, really? That's okay. Mm, okay. You can get these things wrong, but I don't think anybody's, you know, in terms of golf, he stood on the first tee <laughs> and he has hit this. It's hit the clubhouse. Yeah, okay. I, I guess what that, and, and again, it's yeah. It's hard I, on the first tee. It's, it's <laughs> not for some of us. It's easy to get those sort of predictions wrong. What, what worries me about that is that it sounds like it was little more than... Gut feel? Yeah, because... Well, how can it be anything else? Because well, it can't be, because it's so wrong. It, well, it's it's so important, too, that if you're given information, it couldn't possibly be that far wrong he, he unless the person giving it didn't know. No, no, he didn't claim it was an exclusive or I had... No, no, I'm not saying it, that. He just gave his interpretation of... Yeah, but oh, I'm saying it, it makes it sound like it's an interpretation based on nothing more than a hunch. Because if you're... And you, sh- but a terrible I, Ralphie. If you hear this, uh, you know uh, you've been around a long time now. I, I don't need to sort of tell you what you shouldn't shouldn't do. But I mean, I would have thought something of that magnitude. You want to make pretty bloody sure the info's spot on, or your hunch is spot. The thing is, it, the only reason I remember hearing it and it really piqued my interest is because it was so contrary to what general the general consensus was. And mm. I, I thought I'd missed something here. I thought, hang on, maybe he's got his finger on the pulse here and they have eased off on these things. I mean, I, I was surprised this year when Ablett took three weeks to get suspended. I, there have been times where I am surprised at the leniency or the severity of certain penalties. Well, to, to me, this is, it's a reflection of the sorts of the sort of incredible race now of, of media organisations to be first with something. and I just hope Ralphie wasn't trying to be memorable. Yeah, well, uh, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's sort of... Uh, because that's... As the differences between them diminish and as the currency on, you know, exclusives and breaking news is diminished, um, it, it becomes a game for media organisations. And I don't think the punters care, to be honest. So what I'm saying is... You know, like it's the being first on something, on the taking a calculated risk that you might get something right. There are certain stories on which it doesn't really matter if you're not right. It did matter on this one. It's called the chopstick principle. What's that? You see, when Dustin Martin got um, pulled up because he wasn't really charged with anything for assaulting a somebody with a single chopstick at a Japanese restaurant called Mr. Miyagi, everybody had their opinion on what the penalty should be. But as every person got on radio or TV and wanted to be heard, and you're not going to be remembered. Who cares if Rowan Conley comes on and says exactly the same as everybody else? So by the time this happened over the weekend, by the time I got to Hungry for Sport on Monday morning, do you know what Kevin Bartlett said his penalty should be? Uh, life, wasn't it? A full year suspended. And $100,000. And that's the chopstick principle. That by the time he got on, the only way 
he had anything to add mm. to the discussion was by continually everybody added to the penalty. Well, so the- you missed my contribution, did you? I actually called for the restoration of the death penalty in this country. So you were after KB. You must have been on the show yeah. afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you go after that one? Um, I, 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 because I was on at night yeah. when that happened. I said that the restaurant had to be razed to the ground. Funny word for knocking something down, but they had to destroy the restaurant yeah. because they obliterate the memory of it. Yeah. And Dustin Martin had to be, well, he couldn't be deported to New Zealand. That was too close. So he would have to be deported to maybe the Antarctic. Was it Mr. Miyagi was um, Karate Kid, wasn't he? Yeah, it's a good Japanese but, but, well, I'm getting confused now. Yeah. But in, in Kung Fu, who was, uh, you know, Grasshopper yeah, was that, Kung Fu. Yeah. What, what was the old guy called? Uh, I don't know, little grasshopper. I yeah. remember. I remember David Carradine. Yeah, yeah I was. I was just going to say yes, grasshopper. He walked through a western town once, and there were these guys sitting out on the saloon porch. And do you know what they said? Oh, that boy looks carny. <laughs> right. <laughs> racist, actually. Ah, uh, yeah, pretty racist. Given yeah. that they used a non-Asian to play the main character. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, okay. So that's interesting stuff. I just want to make one observation that it's time that time of the football season again when Fox Footy wears out the player takeover round of that wacky cavalcade of fun when the normal hosts. Um, Sit back and relax for a week or so. I'm not sure how long it is, actually. And the wacky, zany, madcap um, uh, current and former players of the AFL are unleashed on uh, football TV. And we all get to sit there and laugh at their zany antics and also um, uh, gasp in awe and wonder as they say totally unremarkable things about football. Um, am I being uh, sarcastic and cynical? Yes, I am, because I'm of this view that as the football media now is composed almost entirely of former players, um, well, it's not entirely, but it's it's getting that way, the novelty of having these people as media commentators, uh, media voices, etc., has well and truly worn off. And uh, if you want to justify having someone in those media platforms, they'd want to be pretty bloody compelling in terms of what they have to say or being able to tell a good joke or whatever the occasion demands. And far too often, in my view, Finey, they're not. And it's sort of all ba- the player takeover round is sort of based on um, now I'm, uh, any player who give me a player, Marcus Bontempelli hosting 360 one night and a whole family of Bulldog supporters sitting there. Oh, Dad, quick, get home. Marcus Bontempelli's hosting 360. Marcus Bontempelli's reading the auto cue and saying, okay, let's go to the Thursday night agenda. And what what am I missing here? Like, what what, what is... Hasn't our, our awe of current and former players, uh, people who were able to play football, worn off? Are we that sort of enraptured by them that... We want to see them uh, doing not as well a job that professionals in the field should be doing. I think they do it to break the tedium. The problem is if you do it every year, it becomes tedious. And I've got to say this, that you hand current footballers that have not had any media training or very little media training the reins on a TV show and it looks incredibly like sort of year 10 review stuff at a high school. It, It... just as it makes no sense professionally uh, to expect Jared Waitley and Mark Robinson to go and play AFL football this week, neither should you expect AFL footballers to step into their job either. The tedium is broken in different ways. I know that the NRL always have their retro round, mm. and sometimes it's 70s, 80s, 60s. Do these big organisations have wardrobes full of clothing and wigs and moustaches and everything. I think that's what half the Fox footy budget goes on, doesn't it? Promos and... um, Yeah, well, you know, take a a picture of Wayne Wayne Pierce or whatever and put him in a 1970s football card and we've got ourselves retro rounds. Do you know we did it uh, it on The Age once in 2006. They had the retro round and and it was... I mean, back then it was actually quite novel and funny. So Warwick Green was the sports editor. Good old Walker, number 37. Yeah, and we did the... And Danny Nong, Premiership player. We did the tips panel and all the tipsters had to provide a picture of them from the... 1970s. Yep. 
uh, or was it early 80s? Yeah, sorry, it was early 80s. So I had one from the Sun News Pictorial in my first year, and I had the sort of new wavy haircut and the leather tie and stuff, and Caroline Wilson had one of her from the Herald in the 1980s, and Samantha, <laughs> Samantha was I was going to say, was an embryo. <laughs> no, I think Samantha Lane had a little schoolgirl one pigtails and stuff. It, it was pretty funny, actually. But, um, yeah, look, just this whole, you know, the the takeover of, of players of the football media is happening almost on a full-time basis, so I don't see why this week is necessarily anything particularly different. Anyway, just an observation. Maybe you love it. Uh, maybe you think up the guts is funny. Uh, I don't. All right, let's preview some footy. On Footyology, previews with Punch. All right, Thursday night football back with us, and uh, that is tonight. And it is over in Perth, and it is West Coast versus Essendon. And uh, quite an intriguing scenario, this. Uh, the Eagles had the bye last week, belted by Sydney in their previous outing. And the Bombers uh, strung a couple on the trot together now over Carlton and Hawthorne, and they've won three of their last four. They did win this corresponding clash last year, Finey. Can they win this one? You know what? My waters tell me Didn't upset. realise you were pregnant. Upset. On the cards. Essendon have shown an ability to be in the doldrums under John Worsfold, but they've also shown an ability to have patches of very good football. And I think that what we saw last week against Hawthorne was the start of the the sort of opening to a good period for Essendon. I felt that they were playing with a lot of a lot of baggage early on in the season. They just Different game plan. Hugh McBaggage. <laughs> a lot of, you know, lack of lack of meeting expectation was weighing heavily on them. And I felt a certain freedom against Hawthorne. Going into state against West Coast, good memories from last year, will further reinforce that sense of, especially because this is a game that they're not expected to win. I'd be I'd be more concerned if Essendon were playing St Kilda, for example. Mm. The nerves could come back, but I think they'll play with a certain freedom this week. And I don't like that West Coast have made six changes. A bit of panic there at West Coast. Uh, yeah, it was quite dramatic, wasn't it? Although uh, the big out for them, for me, is Willie Rioli, who always adds something. Two massive ins though in Shannon Hearn and Elliot Yo. Um, Essendon's out as Jake Stringer, but Mitch Brown comes back, who I'm a fan of. I think he really straightens up that forward setup. So I'm finding it really hard to make a call on this one. But in the end, I've got to go with the reigning Premier on their own turf. So uh, gutless. I pick Essendon because we're level. Well, I pick West Coast because I want to get one ahead. Okay. Uh, one of those tips where you can't lose really funny because even if you get the tip wrong, you're happy. Have $4,000 4, $4, on West Coast. <laughs> no, I don't bet. Um, all right, so uh, Essendon for you, West Coast for me. Friday evening at the SCG, Sydney v Hawthorne. And there's been some great Sydney Hawthorne stouches over the years, of course, most memorably the 2012 Grand Final, one of the very best ever. Um, however, the Hawks have been, not by a lot, a uh, very close average margin between those two sides, actually. In fact, I think it's about a goal over the last few clashes. But the Hawks have prevailed in four of the last five, including at the SCG. Um, they're not playing well. They're not in a good place at the moment, it's fair to say. And the Swans, on the other hand, had uh, last start their best win of a season over West Coast. What happens well, this time? they welcome back Kennedy. You know, they're bolstered. Their team will be padded out with some better players. Mm. I think McVeigh might be playing. But they've got – what they do have, the Swans, is I think I – think, I think they've got – they harbour some hope of making this rush at the eight like they did, you know, a couple of seasons, seasons ago. ago yeah. And when they get the smell in their nostrils, they're, they're a pretty irresistible team. Mm. Whereas Hawthorne, I think, are really heading in the other direction. Mm. I think they've lost that, that verve and that f- fire 
in the belly. They did. They looked strangely flat in that Essendon game. I think it's been coming. I think there's been doses of it in various matches. The game against GWS was not good. Not a good performance. Uh, sorry, that was a good performance. That was a good performance. No, I'm saying the, the form after the GWS yeah. game has not been good. Yeah, it's like they can lift once every so often yeah. now for a, a preview wrong type performance, yeah. but they're... Uh, this, their standard is a lot less than yeah, that. I th- I think, their I think, average. I think that they are that game against GWS. They're the exceptions. So I'll go for the rule and tip Sydney. I am tipping Sydney as well. All right, Saturday afternoon at the MCG, Melbourne versus Fremantle, one forty-five start time. Uh, now this, it's not often you say this. I mean, Frio's record at the MCG and on the road generally had been pretty terrible, but they've uh, they are. A much improved entity this season, no doubt about that. They had a great win at the same venue over Collingwood only a couple of weeks back. Melbourne um, just had a disastrous season, a nightmare of a season for the Demons. Um, I think Frio could win this one pretty well. Gee, this is this is one they have to win and they should win. Who would have thought at the start of the year, Melbourne versus Fremantle? And oh, I think, you know what? I feel that we would have been talking about this game. Most people would have thought, come this game at the start of the year, they would have thought this is a danger game, but one that they have to win if they're serious about mounting challenge this year. And everybody would have been talking about Melbourne, not Freo. They've had virtually sliding door moments, haven't they? They've, mm. they've, they've crossed each other in the hallway. Melbourne going back to the dunce's room. And Fremantle being asked to come up and, you know, do advanced maths. It's unbelievable. But this is a game that Frio, it's a danger game against weak opposition that they should win and I'll tip them. Do you think Melbourne can play some sort of spoiler role in the lead up to the finals? They've gone or from, are they too far gone? Hey, they've gone from grand final, you know, premiership aspirants yeah. to top four likely mm. to finalists to missing the finals mm. and now their spoiler value and you know what in the other four tasks set them this year they've failed dismally mm. so I don't even think they'll be spoiler value Melbourne have a very good recent history of underwhelming at whatever the task is mm. yeah no I'm, I'm with you I think th- this is a really good chance for Freo to you know not only say gee they've improved but say wow you know this is a seriously good side they're going to play finals at least Melbourne has something they can do about the malaise that has set in what's that because didn't they return this year to that lighter blue that they wore they wear that in away games yeah sort of, uh, yeah because that that was their big Change in the seventies yeah, to the eighties. Yeah. No, no. They, I'm saying that they got rid of that lighter blue. They did because they felt that that was uh, a sort of a, a dilution, a, yeah. a, a, a pastel compared to the strong blue of the fifties. Yeah. What's the point? Well, they'll be able to get rid of the shitty blue again next year yeah. and blame that for for all of their wrongs. Well, that decision did coincide with their return as a power. That ha- I remember. I don't know why I remember, but they got rid of that blue in '87. And it went back to the... Well, I said they've got something they can do this year now. Yeah, okay. Um, all right, let's... So we're both going with Fremantle. Let's move to Marvel Stadium, the Twilight Game, 4.35. Your Saints, finally taking on Brisbane. It's a really interesting game. St Kilda are 6-6, six and six, and Dan Hannabry is expected to play his first game for the Saints. Mm. So that'll be a really interesting watch. Unfortunately, they still... Uh, that The loss of Jack Steele just out of nowhere dislocating his knee at training was a, a big loss, wasn't it? Mm. Will they play Carlisle? They might roll the dice there. How many think... VFL games has he played? One. Yeah. But he's not that he, because he's not a running player, yeah. He, he, those sort of players can slot in more likely, would you say? I yeah, think so. Uh, yeah, yeah. The Saints have certain advantages. A, they're playing at their favourite venue, Marvel. Mm. They've been everywhere, man, for the last month. They come back home. Brisbane performed poorly at Marvel last time they were there. They lost to Carlton. Brisbane are defending. This is Brisbane's last last bite at being in the eight. I reckon they've been uh, they've been ordinary on the road, haven't they? I think two and four it's, on the it's road. Starting, this year. It's unfortunately they got to a point where 
everybody was playing really well, weren't they? Yeah. Now it's, I mean, Rainer may Rainer's, I think, expected almost to be dropped. Yeah, he's going that poorly. Hipwood, ditto. Correct. Uh, yeah, personally, I'm not sure you can drop either of those two guys. I think you have to play Hipwood, but yeah, I, I, I don't think you can have two. Underperformers. Pop, pop, pop gun forwards. Well, they've, they've got a couple of experienced guys who've been, uh, I'm told, playing very well in the NIFL in um, Ryan, uh, and Ryan Bastanak yeah. as well. So I expect Christensen to play. Yeah. One of their great strengths doesn't really have an opponent this week. Harris Andrews is less likely to just claim a scalp, given that Membry and Bruce are, are far roaming and St Kilda play a varied forward line. Yeah. I'm going to tip St Kilda. Brisbane need to turn it around markedly to win this game. And only because their last game, they lost to Carlton. I mean, they're not tracking well at the moment. Yeah. So you're tipping the Saints? Well, they've performed well at Marvel. Yes, I'll stick with them. All right. Well, uh, we've got another one different then because I am uh, I'm backing the uh, Bri- the lads from Bris Vegas to... Uh, Turn around that disappointing last start at Marvel against the Blues and win this one. They do, you know, if they're taken to be, if if they're going to be a credible finalist, they need to win this year on the road. And this is a good opportunity. And your Saints finally have done it pretty tough in terms of um, their schedule of late from um, Shanghai to Townsville back to Melbourne. I just reckon at some stage that catches up with them. So you know, if they weren't a football team, the customs would be looking at that. <laughs> Tracking them. I'm going for the Lions. Um, third game on Saturday, and it is at Adelaide Oval, and it is between Port Adelaide and Geelong. Port Adelaide are going to swing the changes tonight, my friend. Uh, people listening to the podcast probably already know that Justin Westhoff, a favourite son used in so many different roles, is not playing. Been dropped. Mm, Paddy Ryder. Cool. Dropped. That's a massive call. They are going to bring in Charlie Dixon, though. Ollie Wines will play. Ebert will play. They've got mm. some big names coming back. Can you afford to have that many big names coming back when they're, they're, that haven't played for a fair while? They've been very conservative with them, actually. They've certainly in so the they've case played of, enough sample. Yeah, yes. Dixon's been trudging around there for a while. Yeah, okay. And they've had a buy. So, what, are, you, are you leading up to... I mean, you, you always think, no matter how badly Port are going... I've always got this thing in the back of my mind that it could click on a particular day for them. Do you think this could be one of those Yeah, it, days? it absolutely could be, but I will not tip out. I've come to the point where tipping against Geelong would be so disrespectful. To tip against any team on a hunch is okay. Yeah. But to do it against the best team that's 11 and 1, yeah. why would I why would you do It's it's a slap in the face for Geelong. I'm not saying that they're going to win every game till the end of the year and I'm not saying that this isn't a banana banana skin that they could easily trip up here because Port can get going and they get the home crowd, but nothing on the ladder, nothing leading up to this game means that Geelong deserve to be tipped against. Do you, I, I am an absolute buyer in what they're selling. Do you think if you did do that, Chris Scott would um, uh, post a printout of uh, the footyology tips up on the lockers and go, see boys! Mark Fine doesn't respect us. I know, Chris. And he would sooner do that than some of the other people in the media. <laughs> I'm telling you, he oh, would. Lick your own ice cream, why don't you? Well, why not? Nobody else will lick no. at me. <laughs> oh, we are not going there. Um, no, I, I agree entirely. Um, if you tip against Geelong, it is nothing more than a hunch. Uh, they are a great side. There. Yeah, have, Two, a hunch, have a hunch against West Coast yeah, like I did. Yeah, yeah. Not, not, you know, it, Can I do my own tip? But I'm just saying, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You've got to have some hunch tipping, but yeah. it's very disrespectful to do it against the team 11 and That's one. what I was going to say, but I'm glad you said it on my behalf. I'd already said it on my own behalf. Well, <laughs> and I'm not letting you do it either. Okay. As uh, part of this company. I'm, t- <laughs> <laughs> I'm tipping the cats. Um, all right, uh, one game on Sunday to wrap it all up. And uh, have we been here before? I had this sort of... Deja vu-ish feeling. Of course, the Western Bulldogs and Collingwood met in round four. Um, it's pretty weird when some sides meet for a second time before others have met for a first time. Uh, this is an interesting one. It's at Marvel Stadium again, as was the uh, first game between them. And that was a game which the first half was absolutely dire. 
uh, keepings off incredibly boring football, but uh, loosened up in the second half. In the end, the Pies won, not by a heap, but uh, they won. I had this sort of feeling that Collingwood's record at Etihad Stadium wasn't that great, but it's interesting. They went through a stage there. They've lost seven out of eight games at Etihad at one stage. This is going back about two years. But they've actually now won their last six there. So no problems with the venue for them. Um, Doggies uh, had a good run of results against the Pies. They won five on end against Collingwood, but significantly have lost their last two. So what do you reckon happens in this one? I'm not giving you... I've got no Quasimodo here. Uh, Hunchback. Hunch. Yeah, No hunches here. Okay. Collingwood are better than the Bulldogs, and Collingwood have lost recently enough. That game against Frio is recent enough. And not that finishing the, on top matters, mm. but I think Collingwood see themselves as a Premier this year, as they should, being runners-up last year. And if you're Premiers, you want to finish on top. And if you want to be in that race, you beat the Bulldogs. And unfortunately for the Bulldogs, they have got a reputation. And you know what that reputation is? What? No lead is insurmountable. So even mm. if they hop to a, you know, if, even if they catch the pies unaware at some point, there's no team that won't think they can't run them down because the Bulldogs have been run down and beaten in the last quarter. They've lost to Carlton in the last quarter, almost got run down by Carlton in the last quarter, beaten by the Bulldogs, and all of it's happened at Marvel, hasn't it? Uh, yeah. So I don't think Colin would have got any fears there. All right, Collingwood for both of us. There's our previews. Let's wrap this thing up. On Footyology, the final word. All right, competition time. Finally, of course, we ask people to nominate their best moustaches, moustaches in VFL, AFL history and give us a bit of a background as to why. And we had some ripping entries, didn't we? How about uh, you run through what you thought were the best few? Andrew's Hamburgers have donated a magnificent T-shirt and cap to the winner. And surprisingly, your moustache did not get a mention. Well, I didn't play AFL football, so I'm not that surprised. Either did Gary Zimmerman, but he got a mention. Uh, <laughs> Western Bulldogs daughter. Uh, daughter? Doctor. Uh, known to other people at the club as Ron Jeremy, the uh, star of adult films. Gee, That's must, what they were calling him. <laughs> he must swing some lead. <laughs> or pipe or whatever it's called. Yep. Okay. Uh, Ari Vlahos. That's an interesting sooner. The I like his nominations because he not only gives the player but also the type of moustache. In fifth place, Mick Nolan, the Zapata. Ah, oh, yes. Noel Teasdale for when he played with West Torrens. Early Tom Selleck. Yep. Oleg Markov, Trotsky. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. Trot- it's also, you know, Eastern Block. Yeah. John Casson. Oh, John. Yeah. West Torrens. Yeah. What record does John Casson hold in football that will never be broken? Uh, running on to the scene of the Windy Hill Brawl in a, in a no, bright no, no. red dressing gown. No. Oh, uh, played the most games in a season. Single season. Yeah. Because of the replay. Yeah, in 77. What did he play? 26 games? Uh, 27. Jeff Saru. Uh, he, he John Casson got classic bikey. Yeah. West Torrens makes sense. Yeah. And Jeff Saru, a Burt Reynolds. Can I just say, one of, I've got, you've got to look this up on YouTube, people. There's some footage from Noel Teasdale and John Casson. So after John Casson left Essendon, but before he went to North, it was 75, I think, he played for West Torrens. Noel Teasdale was coaching West Torrens. And there was infamously a player count. Um, a player got knocked out for uh, Torrens, and before he could be taken off, the replacement player c- came on, and uh, someone from West Adelaide who they were playing said demanded a player count, at which point Noel Teasdale appears on the boundary line, cigarette in hand, <laughs> to abuse someone from West Adelaide. Um, and then there was this incredible scene where all the West Torrens players were, were trying to run off so they couldn't do the player count. <laughs> this is in the middle of a Sandville senior game on TV. Um, the footage is there. I can't remember what it's called, but look it up. It's pretty good. So that's a good entry, yeah. Another runner-up is Aaron Turner, because he nominated a mate of mine. Nathan Carroll played for Melbourne around the 2000s. Great mo that went all the way under his chin. Yeah. It was a proper uh, a, a proper reader. And he had bad hairstyles to match. People don't know this. He tried out with one other player for the last spot on St Kilda's list many years ago, was favoured to get it, and didn't get that spot. 
one of the reasons he didn't get that spot was the night before he tried out for that spot. I was out with him drinking, uh, and that spot went to Good Zach job. Dawson. Ah, okay. Well, that didn't work out too badly. No. And finally, we have the winner, and it's Marcus Leonard. And I've got to say, Marcus has done brilliantly. He's not only described them, but he's sent in footy cards. Oh, is that right? It's a great nomination because he's got Bernard Tui, pretty standard mode, but light in volume. Looks like he had to work hard to get it going. In Geelong or Sydney, guys? Sydney. Okay. Roger Merritt, fully committed to the mode for many years, bristly and well sculptured. It was. Essendon or Brisbane mode? Essendon. Lethal Lee, he looks tough. And then he broke a bit of a, a, a taboo subject. Him and Barassi both did it. They dyed their mows. Remember Barassi had a black mow and grey hair? Well, I remember uh, Lethal went the Grecian to, or the hair colour on the... Actually, I'm working with him tonight. Do you think I should run it by him? Or run the dye from his hair? <laughs> Lethal Lee comes in second and Dipper at number one with honourable mentions to Swooper. Northy, John Northy, I love a blonde moustache. I remember Carl's big blonde moustache. Yeah. And Jezza. So our winner again? Is Marcus Leonard. And and just so by way of explanation, we're, that is not saying that we think Dipper has the best mo, but no. the best entry. Best entry submitted. In terms of trouble gone to. So thanks. and th- But thanks everyone who contributed to that. There were, I had a look at these entries and they, they were terrific. Good. And my own entry, the entire St Kilda 1978 team, Bar George Young, had a moustache. Every player. Is that right? They're pretty tough hombres oh, since the killer of 78. Oh, side bottom, no. Side bottom, no. But everybody else, Dittrich, yes. Lofts. You name Rex Hunt had the big moustache going. Even the little league time. The two. <laughs> <laughs> and we did have one other great nomination. Yeah. The best Mo in AFLW. Oh, hang on. No, you don't go there. Mo Hope. Oh, very good. <laughs> this very week's good. competition. All right, so um, who is our winner again? Marcus Leonard. Yeah, um, send if us you, your If details. you can send us your uh, T-shirt size and your postal address, Marcus Leonard, to info at footyology.com.au, we'll get your prize out to you. This week's competition yep. is, well, given the unusual nature of uh, the pinching suspension, yep. Under th- law number 3.42 of the AFL, don't behave like a lobster on the field. <laughs> Thou shall not pinch, yeah. What are some of the most unusual reports in league history? Oh, I like it, yeah. All different ones. There have yeah. been many different ones. Yep. Yeah, that's good. And, um, yeah, give us an explanation and uh, why you chose that one. Email your entries to info at footyology.com.au. You'll find the website. Uh, you'll find the email address on the footyology.com.au website. We've got some great previews up there at the moment from Ronnie Werner. You've got stuff from Finey. His final siren column this week was a ripper about the cats. I've got plenty of stuff up there too, so check it out. Not stuff up, stuff up there. Stuff up there, yeah. yes. My favourite report, well, I, pl- I claimed Paul Tomei, who played for St Kilda. I yelled at him once. He should get four weeks for impersonating a football. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, uh, I think we're done here. So thanks for tuning in, everyone. I hope your side has a good win in this another elongated round of AFL footy. I've got the song for us to go out on finding, of course, the Jaden Stevenson story making all the news uh, for the thorny issue of gambling, which made me immediately think of this song. Enjoy your footy, and we'll see you on Sunday night for the Round 14 review. Better, you better, you better. When I say I need you, you say you better.